From beef to steel, every direction you turn, there's a shortage or a skyrocketing cost in supply chains. Unless they've been in the profession for several decades, it's a situation many people in procurement have never faced in their careers. So how do we navigate the current situation? Welcome to Global Sourcing Insights with SIPS. I'm Bob Rosbeck, and with me is VP of Operations for SIPS Americas, Bill Michaels. Welcome, Bill. Say hello. Hey, thanks, Bob. It's kind of fun to be here. <laughs> yes, it is. And, you know, for like 20 years or more, with a few exceptions, we've largely been in a buyer's market or more or less, you know, with low inflation, a big recession that came through here, a slow recovery, have often given procurement professionals the upper hand in negotiations and in finding supplies. So, Bill, walk us through the situation we face right now, because it ain't the same. It is not. I mean, the interesting thing is that uh, in many of our categories post-COVID, um, we, we've got a imbalance of supply and demand. So when when you uh, you have too much demand and not enough supply, um, you you're automatically in a in a strategic position where you really have to work with suppliers to help you. But I got a couple of slides that I'll share, and and uh, we can go through what's happened post-COVID and and what's happening now, if that's okay with you, Bob. Let's go. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about surviving the shortages, and we'll talk a little bit about why are we seeing some of these shortages and what, what do they mean? So um, the, first, the first thing is, what happened pre-COVID? Where, where were we uh, when we started this whole thing? And really where we were was in a recovering economy with a little bit of modest growth. Uh, we, we should have learned some lessons from the natural disasters we saw, which was earthquakes in, in Japan and floods in Thailand, where we lost the chip manufacturing, we lost glass for cell phones, we lost pigment for uh, painting cars. Uh, and that started to make companies start to think about how, how to change their um, supply chain. And that accelerated when we started to see trade tensions between our nation and other nations and tariff wars where we actually were matching one tariff against another. And, and uh, pre-COVID, we saw a lot of political instability. So we really saw the uh, exit of the UK from, uh, from the European unit with Brexit. We, we saw tensions in, in the US and tensions with Europe and tensions with Canada. So. Um, those, those tensions started, those tensions and those uh, trade wars started to get companies to start thinking about where should we be, especially with the cost going up in China based on the, uh, the tariffs. So what we actually see now is that the, some companies are exiting immediately, uh, as soon as they can, anywhere they can, anything they can to get away from the tariffs. And then some companies were starting to um, look at how can we redesign our supply chains uh, so, you know, post-COVID, um, we're starting to see price pressures. This is from the Wall Street Journal this week. Uh, these are companies that have announced some of the uh, uh, price increases they're seeing. And we've seen price increases as much as um, um, can be 20 to 300%. So we'll talk about those in a minute and what, what to do. Um, what's happening and why are we seeing some of this? Well, the, the Federal Reserve uh, has a stimulus program and that's really caused consumers to go out and buy things. Uh, they're buying, they're buying all kinds of things. They're buying houses, they're buying cars, they're buying everything with the stimulus money. And 
uh, what, what's happened is there's a lack of production capacity. We have a labor shortage where people are not returning to work. They're, they're choosing to stay home. They're balancing off childcare and their work. And, and they prefer now after being home for a year to, to, to actually stay home uh, and remain remote. Um, the workforce is also reconfiguring. So we're starting to see the, the reconfiguration of the workforce and we're starting to see a lack of, uh, of uh, talent. So there's a big talent uh, manager. So the, the result is price increases, shortages, companies don't have enough. In fact, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal um, yesterday where um, uh, Polaris is uh, building whatever it can from the materials it has. It does, it's not following a production schedule. If it has certain, certain components and can build a certain unit, they'll build it. Uh, so we're start seeing those shortages. And, and in industries like the home building industry, windows are short, air conditioners are short, appliances are short. Uh, and, and most of, uh, of the people working in a lot of industries are just chasing components to keep things going. In fact, you know, my truck broke down yesterday and they're telling me it's two weeks before they can get a part to fix it. So it's kind of interesting to see what's happened. And if we look at, you know, the current news, it, 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 uh, the Fed chairman had the funniest statement, um, which he said in the Wall Street Journal on 621. And it is that it's, it turns out it's a heck of a lot easier to create demand than it is to bring about the supply and bring it back up to snuff. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So on top of all that, employees are quitting. Just in time is, is uh, being challenged. Products are being redesigned because if you can't get the chips, sometimes you defeature. I think manufacturing is going to change. We're going to see a lot of things happen that are, are different. Um, in, in housing, for instance, uh, if you bought OSB, OSB um, about five months ago, you would pay about $8 a sheet. And today it's 62 so it's over 300%. Cement is up 70%. Um, you know, steel is up 92%. Uh, HVAC, windows, appliances, cabinets, labor, everything is short in this market. And, and we continue to build houses because we have a shortage of homes in the US. And to make that worse, people who are remote are actually building new homes, uh, adding offices and picking the places they want to live. Uh, and, and since they can work remotely, I think uh, you're actually an example of that, aren't you? I am. You're an expansion project just because uh, you're uh, a remote worker now. That's true. I think uh, my wife and I both work remotely, and uh, our two our three bedroom house has two bedrooms, which are offices. So we're building a a casita or a guest house so we can put people uh, up when they come. So yeah, you, you're seeing that. Uh, and then when we start thinking about the, the, the freight piece of it, it's kind of interesting that fuel costs are up, containers are scarce, there's not enough trucks or drivers, it's not an area where people uh, desire to go in when they, they leave uh, high school or co college, they don't want to be truck drivers, and the capacity is strained. So again, it's price increases, shortages, disruptions, trying to find your stuff. I know that you know what what used to come in overnight is coming in now uh, three, four, or five days later uh, than it used to. So we're starting to see these impacts across the industry as well. Yes, and uh, I can tell you in my own uh, experience, you know, we've had appliance repairs, and they just the appliance repair guy comes in and he just rolls his eyes, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> about when is he going to get the part. So uh, we, but we had had some relief in some areas. Lumber, I saw that you know three hundred percent price spike. 
uh, in OSB, basically plywood. Um, but some of that has dropped off. So maybe there's a little bit of relief. Uh, I think some of us say, you know, the best cure for inflation is high prices. Um, so maybe we're getting a little bit of relief. So what are people doing in the short term? Well, I think what's really interesting and what people have to focus on is, is supplier relationships. I think that uh, it's very critical to maintain and, and care for the relationship you have when you have a crisis like this. Uh, the, you know, the best customers get the best ideas and they get the short supplies. I saw another article that I read where some companies, some of the retailers that had gotten relief during the pandemic on payment terms are trying to extend those payment terms into this crisis. If you extend your payment terms, you're not gonna have a supplier at all. And if you go to a new supplier, they're not gonna be able to support your needs because they're supporting their current customers' needs. And we can talk about how manufacturing is reconfigured uh, to really make, uh, make this, this happen and how they're changing uh, the way they work and what's gonna, what's gonna happen into the future. But right now, uh, if you have a good supplier relationship management plan and a good, uh, a good process for supplier relationship management, you should be able to work with your, your supplier to, to keep you hold on the price and drive your, drive your supplies in where you need to. Okay, so now can we take a look at the longer term? Let's look at what are the what are the what's going to happen going forward next three five years? That kind of timeline, that kind of horizon. This is going this is going to change everything in many ways, is it not? It is, and and, and I think it's really important. Uh, you know, as we we talked about when the tariffs hit, everybody was looking at where can they where can they bring things, what can they do? But I think there's a, a broader uh, thinking about the supply chain. So in terms of how do they shorten the supply lines? You know, how can they, you know, one, one of the things that's really interesting is a lot of companies have realized during the pandemic that it isn't really wise business decisions to chase low cost labor across the globe and then ship to everywhere in the world from a low cost labor point from a risk standpoint. So we're starting to see people look at shortening their supply lines, automating their process. So when a good example is when, when the uh, GE brought its appliance business back uh, to the United States from Asia, um, it automated the whole plant. So it spent a lot of money in automation. So you're not going to see a, a bunch of people putting you know, bolts and nuts and screws together. Um, a lot of robots uh, are starting to maintain uh, stuff like that. And the more we have critical short labor, the more we're going to automate some of the supply chains. It takes capital. Um, but robots don't get tired. They work 24 hours a day. And you read about it and hear about it a lot in, uh, in, uh, in, in supply chain management is removing the non-value added links, you know, producing and, and distributing close to the markets we serve. So many manufacturers are actually looking at having smaller footprints uh, for production close to the markets they're serving. So in North America, there'll be a market, Europe, Asia, depending upon where they're, where they're, uh, where they're supplying. Uh, and they're redesigning key components uh, to industry standards. So a lot, a lot of confirmation and, and, and collaboration across what are good industry standards. And lead time is really critical. You have to manage your lead time efficiently and you have to start thinking about what, what adds to lead time. In fact, I was working with a client and they had a motor that had a 26 week lead time, six months. And when we got into it, the one thing that uh, caused that motor to have that long lead time was a, a D shaft, uh, a D shaft in the in the motor. 
so it was a cheap component. We bought the D shafts, gave them to the supplier, and the lead time went down to like four weeks from 26. So you really have to start thinking about how can you make your supply chain more agile and, and, and flexible. The other thing we're seeing now is that we're seeing vertical integration, which you know in the 90s, everything was about de-verticalizing, about outsourcing, driving change. And you know here are two examples, uh, and there are plenty more uh, companies actually going back to vertical integration. Apple has uh, um, not using Intel anymore. They're building their own chips. And, uh, and so they're in control of their own destiny. If we start thinking about Amazon, Amazon has a railroad, an airline, uh, tractor trailers and delivery vans, and, and they're really their own distribution company as well. So we're starting to see a lot of companies, uh, and I can name about four others or five others that are really uh, going back vertical to control their own supply chains. Automation, I talked about that a, a little bit, but this is really interesting. This top, this top example is a company called Funak, and what they do, they, they have is this is a, a plant that runs uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and robots build other robots. Nobody enters the plant, it's a lights out factory, nobody enters the plant except for uh, the 30 day period when they pick up the finished units. So it's a totally automated factory, totally lights out. And I think we're starting to see the plastics industry move to lights out and some other industries move to uh, robotics. The second picture on the bottom is a, an automated, automatic McDonald's. You walk in, you look at the food on the menu, you go over to the other screen, you punch in what you want, you give it a credit card and someone comes out with your food. You don't stand in line at the counter, you have a number and someone comes out and delivers the food to you. And then the third example is a, is a robot uh, in giant food markets that goes around the aisles every hour and looks for spills or messes and cleans, cleans them all, all up. Uh, another automation that I've recently seen is in a warehouse where the drones go up and down the aisle, reading the barcodes and keeping track of every inventory real time every moment. And if something's misplaced, the drones report it back out to the, uh, to the business. So. Um, a lot of automation coming in and we're going to see more and more automation uh, to offset that low cost uh, country labor. Um, risk management is, is a real priority. Everything, everything right now is a risk uh, throughout the entire supply chain. Uh, one of the other risks that's really important is corporate social responsibility. So ethics, ethics and environment and, you know, uh, companies are setting carbon footprint goals, but it's really interesting when and when a board of directors and a company sets a footprint goal for carbon reduction, it falls down on procurement and supply chain to be able to put that plan into place, align the supply chain to be able to achieve those goals. So it's a it's a big job for people, and cybersecurity is high on on the list of risk management at the moment. <clears throat> so really, uh, demand is is higher than supply. Um, prices are out of control. Um, the, the, if the, the suppliers are saying, if you don't buy it from me, someone else will. So it really is turned from a buyer's market to a seller's market. I don't think companies were very well prepared to come back from COVID. One of the best examples of that would be the food industry, because we shut down bars, restaurants, hotels, cruise ships, company cafeterias, all in one day, and the whole food industry just stopped, and farmers started plowing the food under uh, back into the fields, and you know, spilling the milk out, and uh, taking their uh, animals to slaughter. And uh, it takes a crop year 
to bring that stuff back together. So we weren't really prepared to come back. And, and as we come back, we're coming back with a little bit of social distancing, a little bit of change. There's a, there's really even um, uh, trying a decision point whether to come back to an office, not come back to an office, come back two days, three days, or whatever it is. Labor is a critical resource right now in, in almost every industry. Talent is really short. So we're not really seeing the kind of uh, replenishment of labor and that's causing a lot of shortages we're not getting the materials out the door that we need to get out the door we have poor preparation no labor and companies are, are trying to respond to this and trying to fix it the learning's been strong from the pandemic some things are not going to go away they're going to be here forever and we have to really kind of accommodate that my 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 advice to people are make sure you have strong supplier relationships particularly with your strategic supplier I don't think you have very many leveraged suppliers in, in this period of time where you're in a seller's market. You really have all strategic suppliers. So the better the relationships you have, the better opportunities you have to negotiate and help yourself. In many ways, some, what, some of what you said is just uh, going back to the fundamentals, supplier relationships, um, map your supply chains, look for the risk um be very uh, strategic about uh, identifying where your um where where your strategic sources are so you are protecting your your most critical supplies um a lot of this stuff is things that people should have been doing long before the covid crisis hit and now it's really coming home to roost it certainly is and i think you know now now you have to understand how can i make my supply chain agile flexible how can I how can I take out you know non-value added links? Uh, some companies are returning into vertical integration and getting away from outsourcing because the outsource has caused them to be out of control in this period of time. Um, and and maybe it's not wise to be able to chase low-cost labor wherever it is. I mean, if you really think about low-cost labor and you think about China, um, China China is developing a middle class. Um, their their costs are are rising. Um, they, they're, they're not going to be a low-cost country forever. It's probably going to last another five, maybe 10 years if, if it does. But, you know, with the tariffs and the things that we've seen, is it's not as as advantageous to use China anymore. And the next the next big region would be Africa, but there's no infrastructure to bring in things and out. So I think, you know, um, building smaller uh, facilities and smaller footprints, and I think building them close to the markets that you serve gives you um, duplication, but it also gives you an ability to flex and control demand and, and supply. And, uh, and, and uh, if something happens in one area of the world, you can actually ship to it. Building components that are common. Mapping the supply chain is a really critical thing. I mean, if we look at you know, integrated chips, integrated circuits right now. I heard that one of the automotive manufacturers are shipping their cars with only half of the circuits in and that the dealer will install the other half as they're in, as they're in, um, uh, in, in service again. Uh, that, that's pretty, pretty difficult to deal with. And I think you'll see some defeaturing there as well. So yep. it's, it's, you know, and, and having companies build only what they can, not what they plan is pretty, it's going to limit the amount of things that you can buy when you're going out into the marketplace as well. So big changes, uh, big changes, you know, the, the, the days of saying I'm going to pay 120 days um, are gone. I think the other thing that uh, procurement professionals have to do is set a realistic expectation with their management. If their management still thinks they're going to get double digit uh, price reductions, probably not going to happen. 
and and they're starting to see it now when we see you know whole industries and in, in raise the price um, a significant double digit um, you're not you're not going to be able to offset that or you're not going to have the materials you need to build what you need to sell in the marketplace to capture your return on investment so I think that that's going to be uh, something you have to consider. Um, so set, set the expectation with your management, focus on the suppliers and, and what they can do for you and, and really uh, build that build that relationship as strong as you can. And then always monitor the risk from the entire supply chain. A lot to chew on there, Bill. And uh, I thank you for participating here. And thanks to our listeners for joining us as well for Global Sourcing Insights from SIPS. I'm Bob Rosbeck. Have a good day. Bye-bye, Bob.